Hi everyone, welcome to episode 20 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. It's hard to believe that we're on episode 20 already, the weeks don't be long gone and look I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all the guests over the last 19 weeks. Um, you've been great you know, for giving up your time to come on, I really, really do appreciate it. Look, if this is your first time listening to Inside View Podcast, we'd really appreciate if you go back to episode one and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. Look, that one recommendation, it goes a long way and it could go a long way. Um, and any interaction that you or your friends or family, whoever may know, might have you know, in relation to the podcast, please do tag on the ball team building and do tag the guests too. Just we want to take this look. We just want to, to thank the guys there up in Mayo at GRG Sports who came on as sponsors there a couple of months ago. They've been great help um and great support over the last couple of months. And be sure if you know if you're thinking of um getting out your your local club or your own business, be sure to get in contact with them. Um, they'll be happy to you know to assist you in in any way possible. It's now time to bring on this week's guest and I am delighted to be joined by Kerry GA legend and current Sunday game analyst Tomas O'Shea. The Art of War man was called into the Kerry senior squad in 1997 and spent over 15 seasons in the green and gold. With 88 championship games to his name, he bowed out in 2013 with an impressive 5 All-Ireland medals, 5 All-Stars and was named Footballer of the Year in 2004. O'Shea also won two Kerry County Championships with Ongoyaktut. It is safe to say that O'Shea cemented himself in GA history as one of the best wing-backs of his time. Hi Tomas, welcome to the Interview Podcast. How are you keeping? I'm good, Jamie. How are you getting on? Oh, good. Surviving the, the bad weather down here at the moment. And, uh, um, over lockdown, how, how was it for you, aside from the, the Instagram live? How did you find things? I found it, I suppose. It was strange enough at the start. It was very strange. Uh, obviously, nobody's gone through what we're going through at the moment. And even now, it's very strange. And I'd say it's going to be like that for a long while ahead of us as well. But uh, the lockdown, look, when, when we left work, we thought we were only leaving work for a week or two. And it turned out to be a lot longer than that. And I suppose it took a while. It took about maybe two or three weeks to get into a routine. But once you were in that routine, I, I'm a teacher. So I was actually online every day with the kids twice a day. And, you know, you did your, your three or four hours online and just got into a habit and routine. There was no movement around the place. We weren't traveling anywhere. We were at home. So I was getting a bit of exercise into it. And, you know, when, once we got into it, I was actually enjoying it. Uh, and we had a baby in the middle of it then. And... It was kind of handy, I suppose, for all of us to be at home, and and you know, it was it was a it was a good time. It was actually a very good time, um, and I think it put a lot of things into perspective for us. And um, I won't say I enjoyed it because you know I, I still miss the 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 social side of things, Jamie, and I miss the kind of the football and the sport and going somewhere and the Sunday game kicking off and to surreal really, but. Uh, Look, we're after, I won't say we're after coming out the, the other side of it, but we definitely, you know, we're going to have to learn how to live with it, I think, because it's going nowhere and I can't see it going anywhere and the cases are rising again as we speak. And uh, even in Cork here now, the cases are going way up. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you'd be moving from level two to level three or four um, before the end of the, the season. And 
I suppose, you know, there's a lot of things that you'd have to think about in terms of people's health and people's safety and all that. And then you look at it from a selfish point of view and you look think about it from a sports point of view and if the All-Ireland will go ahead and all that. But at the end of the day, I suppose we're here as, as a huge... I think it's, it's somebody said it there last night, I just heard it, it's community-based. So it means it, it affects everybody. And no matter what we do, unless we beat it as a community, we're going nowhere really. How did you find the uh, Instagram lives? Um, you know, I suppose it was, you know, the Instagram lives went into the podcast um, and boardroom, you're on the other side of the mic. Do you know, how did you find that at the start? I, I found it very nerve-wracking. It's an awful position to be in because I think if you worry, if you overthink it or overanalyze it or over worry about it or... And that's what I was doing at the start. I think I got, uh, like anything else, if you if you kind of practice away at it, uh, you get better at it. And I had no intentions of doing it, and I had no intentions of continuing it. And it was only on Instagram, so the numbers were kind of small enough anyway. But uh, as it went on then, they were, the numbers were getting bigger and bigger, and we were having a bit of crack, and we were having a few laughs, and that's all I wanted to have. I wanted it to have it as if you met a fella. Uh, somewhere and you were just chatting privately to them and the only difference is I suppose people are tuned in and uh, you know keep it as natural as possible and when, when I was going on with it then there was a, a guy from Benetti Vincent Nally who, who actually you know said you know there might be something in it in terms of a, a podcast and look there was nothing else going on Jimmy there was no football there was nothing so it was kind of giving me something to grab onto and to actually focus in on and uh, it went well and the, the the podcast went well so we don't know where it's going to go at but the chats themselves I got I found it easier as I went along you know and I, I'd handpicked the guests myself and uh, I'd make contact with them myself and I'd, I'd purposely not talk to them beforehand or anything like that I'd just turn on the switch the last literally 20 seconds before we were ready to rock and say right and go on straight away and off we went and no, no small talk have the small talk inside in your interview and that was it and uh, I enjoyed it. And we, we were lucky we had a couple of very good guests. Uh, all of them were very good. And it's, it's what I'd enjoy most is, is fellas like, that I'd know but wouldn't know that, that well. But got to even actually know them more from that actual talk. And uh, so it was good crack. It was good crack, James. It was light stuff. I wasn't looking for any stuff that would hang a fella or get a fella in trouble or anything like that. And... Um, I enjoyed it and the, the proceedings went very well so look it's time consuming that's the only thing it's very time consuming and if there's an All Ireland on I don't know is it going to continue or not we'll see we'll see what the plans are I left the other two lads at that and if they want to continue with it organise it away and come back to me then when it's when, when you want to go Perfect, perfect. yeah it's, it's definitely um, definitely very time consuming I I suppose you know, when your name, uh, when I hear your name, one thing always sticks in my mind was that I used to be with Johnny Linhan back in the day, you know, involved with West Kerry. And when Goethe came in, they went West Kerry for a period of time, you were there. You used to always be like the first one out the door with the baseball cap on. Um, was there a reason for that? Was that to avoid any confrontation or was it just the way you, know, you always did it? Uh, I don't know what it was. I, I, the cap was handy because... Um, I don't know. I just had a cap on my head. I used to shower straight away. I wouldn't be hanging around the pitch. I wouldn't be... I don't know. I'd say it was kind of a pishog. It's just the, the way you get, a fellow would get up in the morning and the way he'd have breakfast or wouldn't have breakfast. He just gets into a habit and a routine. And I suppose the habit I had was just 
togging off straight away into the tracksuit, into the t-shirt and a cap over my head. And I didn't want to be doing any small talk. And I wasn't, I suppose, look, I'd be quiet anyway. And I just didn't want to be talking to anybody. And you just have the hat on you. And before you're actually, they wouldn't recognize you basically, Jamie. So by the time you're, you're they might recognize you, you're gone fucking five yards past them. So that's, and then you can just head off and get over there. I'd be out of there quicker than some of the, some of the supporters. Uh, I'd have the shower. There'd be fellas still coming into the dress room, and I'd be gone. Uh, and it was just—it wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't rushing anywhere. I wasn't rushing anywhere. But I just got over there, and wherever you go, you go down to town and meet up with friends or whatever it was, and um, chill out. Then after that, but no, I wasn't kind of a one of these fellas that was just socially hanging around and chatting and having a laugh and the whatever after. I'd, I'd, I'd do that myself later on with whoever. Uh, but just to get over there quick, really, was the cap. Because I don't really wear the cap that much anymore. But it served a purpose back in the day. <laughs> um, I suppose, look, I, we have a lot of listeners there from Connecticut um, and Massachusetts. I suppose just to give a kind of an overview, um, are the Vohor, you know, a steeped in tradition because of obviously uh, party. Um, what was it like growing up there? And what are, what are your early memories of the time, you know, when things really started going back around there? Uh, well, I suppose I, I grew up, Jamie, and when I grew up, when I was born, we moved back. We were born in Listowel and uh, we were born in Tralee, but we were reared in, in Listowel for the first two years of my life I was in Listowel. And so was Fargal and so was Dara. And then when Mark was born in 1980, we moved back home to Ardevore. And um, at the time in Ardevore, there was only the church, my grandmother's shop, um, and Paddy was living there. And Tom, my uncle, was living over the road and our own house. That was it. There was Joe Shade, then another neighbour over the road, no relation. And... Um, I suppose when you think about it, it was a quite it was a quite existence. There was no friends. There was no. There was four lads in my family, four brothers, mom and dad at home, and it was very quiet. There was no social media, so when you went home, really, that was it for the evening. You know, it's not like nowadays where you go home and you're connected to something. You know where everybody's doing and what they're at and Snapchat and what that. There was none of that. So there was no television either. We had our two two channels. Uh, there was no pub at the time. Party didn't have his bar, so. You know, we entertained ourselves out the back in the football. And in 1985, I think Paddy built the bar across the road. And I was about seven or eight at the time. And um, that was a big deal because that was a kind of an outlet we had for ourselves then if we were going across playing a game of pool and all that. But I suppose as the years went by, West Kerry and the Americans would notice West Kerry is a lovely, beautiful area. And Paddy's bar and our house and the shop and the church is on the main road, the main Slayhead Road, and it became very busy during the summer, and you'd have students around the place, and it was a, it was a lively spot during the summer, but during the winter, it was, a, it was a quiet area, a very quiet area, and, you know, the constant was the family, the family were always there, so be it through busy times or quiet times, they were always there, and um, I, I, I like it, I, I, I love the, we grew up and it was in a safe area. It was very, very quiet. We were a mile back the road. We cycled everywhere. We cycled to training one side, five miles. And then we cycled to our own school, a mile and a half back the road. Um, we rarely went to Dingle. We would go to Dingle on a Saturday with the old fella driving in the car. That was it. Um, and it was kind of innocent times compared to what it is now. You know, and I have a young fella, uh, 14, 15. And, you know, sometimes with what's going on around the place, you'd love if he, if he had the, the same upbringing that we had. And all we had then, Jimmy, was there was no football, there was no soccer, there was nothing. Only, sorry, there was no rugby, I should say. There was no hurling. There was, it was just football. 
football morning, noon and night. Religion and football was the two key things. You could not talk to anybody without talking about football. And that's the way I like it as well. You know, some people are interested in all sorts. They might be interested in boating. They might be interested in angling. Whatever it is, people interested in buildings. Our thing was sport. And a lot of people back in West Kerry are sport. And, uh, you know, I suppose party and his connection with, the, with, with football and connection with Kerry kind of drove us to, to kind of achieve or try to, to, to be as interested as we could in it. And um, it was great. I have great memories of living back there. It is a lovely area. And I suppose I only appreciate it more now. And you'll be similar enough as well, Jamie. When you come home, you kind of appreciate home more than when you were actually growing up. It's because not that you took it for granted, but you, I don't think you saw the things that were around the place or, or any of that. So anytime I go back now, I try to get as much as I can done and get the kids around to all the places. And um, it's a lovely area. And um, yeah, we had, a, we had a brilliant upbringing. What was it like, you were saying, you know, with, you know when, when P.O. opened the, the bar and for those that, you know, that wouldn't be too aware of his training regime, he was definitely a man before his time you know you could call him professional the way he was he was training and watch, watching the body do you want to give us an overview of what that was like and did you ever take part in any of it even though he might have been seven or eight at the time uh no i remember it i remember it party was a kind of a that time you have to understand that i suppose you look at an inter-county player now and it's full on 12 months of the year that time you know, there was no back door. The National League and Kerry, under Paddy's time and under Mikko's time, they didn't take it too seriously. It was all about championship. Uh, the National League was started in October that time. So you had a, a few rounds before Christmas and you had a few rounds after. And the training really started in earnest around April uh, for championship. Uh, in the March, April, I would say. And Paddy had a fierce regime. He used to have a, a, a kind of a, a pattern where he would... Winter hard, and he'd, he'd uh, when I say winter hard, he'd enjoy himself and he wouldn't be killing himself too much. Uh, I don't think he ever killed himself with a club either. The Celtics weren't as successful back then as they were in our time. Uh, but he played away with the club, and I'd say around March, then he always used to say when the cuckoo would come, he'd tune in a little bit more and he would put himself through awful torture. And I suppose when he was younger, he was well able for it. But I'd say in 84, 85, 86, when he was coming to the kind of end, um, it was more difficult and I suppose like all of us the older you get it's harder to get the, the body in shape but he used to if you know the geography of Ardevohar and you know the geography of Slayhead he used to and I did it my lately myself when I w- was at home I went up I went up for a walk and it took me three or four hours altogether but I went up to top of Mount Eagle and he used to go up to top of Mount Eagle he'd run up to Kasak and he'd run up to top of Mount Eagle there was a, a kind of a road uh, a gravel road there and he'd go back down the back into Dunquin into the graveyard and then he would run around Slayhead and as he came around then to the shop again he'd go down the beach for half an hour jumping over hurdles and he'd be doing press-ups and sit-ups and these were on his, his nights off and look looking back at it I don't know did we pay much attention we certainly didn't go running with him I never did it myself as a player either but we did I suppose learn that you had to train hard and you had to work hard. And I think over the years we saw that, that Kerry took precedence over everything, really, and that you'd put that ahead of everything. Um, and I think the other mountain beside us, Croch uh, that was the mountain that we used to run up. And uh, we definitely learned that from him, that you had to have your work done in terms of, of, of fitness. Uh, 
and then you could go in and I think it always brought confidence out in him when he knew his body was right it brought a confidence out in the pitch that he could achieve whatever he wanted on the pitch then you know and that was the way I, I certainly was that way I felt, I felt that if I was fit if I was as fit as I could be then less could go wrong on the pitch unless you met some fellow that was rightly going to, to cause you bother like you, fitness was the key thing I think and if you had the fitness you could you could put him on the back foot by running up the field or whatever and make him mark you and I think his training regime was was tough it was very very tough um, and he used to do it Jamie inside the middle of the championship I don't think fellas re- realised that he was well ahead of his time I think he was a fellow that taught us that rest was so vital he was he was certainly back in the 70s, 80s, the man was going for sleep since during the day to make sure he was right for training the following night or even that evening. So well ahead of his time. And uh, I suppose, you know, I've often said it, monkey see, monkey do. We definitely learned off him how, how to train and how to treat um, teams and how to actually uh, have respect and how to win and how to lose uh, so many things and it's not that he sat us down and said right lads today we're going to talk about how to lose a match you just hear it little nuggets down the ears and after matches if you acted this way or if you said something different and maybe say no and I suppose he learned it as well from he had a fierce interest in Kerry football and the likes of the, of, of the barn inside in Dingle mm-hmm. and Tom Long who would have been a first cousin of his and tradition meant a lot to him and tradition about Kerry football and tradition of what fellas used to do before matches and how they trained. And uh, he had a fierce draw for, for Kerry football and what it stood for and what it still stands for. And um, I, I think that's very important. I think our tradition, you know, Gary McMahon wrote that that, um, that fierce poem that, that uh, some people think that tradition counts for naught. And that's not the case at all. And I think that's certainly not the case in Kerry. I think tradition is part of it. Uh, you see the dubs now, they're creating their own tradition. You know, they had a tradition as it was. It's a lot stronger now. And the, 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 the kids that will come down the road will have this to look back on. And that's why it is important because I think it helps in so many ways, Jamie. It helps to get kids involved. It helps to, to kind of, I suppose, uh, make it an easy choice for them to choose football because it is the sport, no matter what. And I, I hope it's always the way. And I'm biased and all that. I hope it's always just the main sport in Kerry and I've no doubt it will. What was your own training regime like, we say, when you want to, when you were kind of, you know, around 95 and things, when you were with uh, Dingle CBS and when you were kind of getting, you know, in with Kerry? Um, you still go for that extra run and those extra jogs up, up mountains? I would. I was. Uh, I wouldn't say I was nuts on it, but I would during the winter time when I needed to. I would go down the beach, and we had. We, we were lucky because only just literally a two-minute walk. There's a there's a, a a beach a mile long below there, and uh, a fine, perfect beach. And uh, we would have gone down there all the time, and we would have ran, and we would have done the. I think, and it's all come around now that the old strength would be in press-ups and sit-ups. We were a fierce believer in it. And I would do that religiously at night, constantly, sit-ups and press-ups every night. I'd do about 200. And that was only when I was, geez, I was only, um, I suppose, what would we, third year, fourth year, fifth year, I suppose, what would you be? You'd be 14, 15, 16. And I think it stood to me. I wasn't a huge man for weights and weights wasn't a huge thing around our time. It came later and towards, it's all weights now. And the, the, the footballers now, Jamie, are way bigger men. They're fitter men. They're stronger men. 
than they were back in my time. But I still think that we had a natural strength built up over years because of, of press-ups and sit-ups and that came from, from Polly. I think there's nothing like, you can talk about all the weights you do, but if you do body or your own body weight with dips and chin-ups and pull-ups and, and press-ups and sit-ups, I think they're as good as anything. And uh, I, I didn't, I always felt, I wasn't too worried. If I always, my fighting weight was 13 and a half stone. If I was 13 and a half stone, and if the body was hard, I was happy. And I used to do, I used to keep the body hard by just doing press-ups and sit-ups and uh, chins and dips. That was it. Uh, and that kept, uh, that kept the body hard enough and that I wasn't too pushed. Even when the weights came in, John was a fierce man for the weights. Uh, and I used to do them, but I, I, if we had to do a set of 10, I'd always do only seven. And it wasn't as if, I just felt that I, it was draining me. I felt that it was taking more out of me than it was actually putting in. And I suppose I didn't really understand the science of it, but I, I, I think I was around so long that I didn't want to understand the science of it. And I suppose, in a way, I'd love to see if, if we had trained the way teams train now. And fellas say, geez, there's so much time going into it. And a part of me says, geez, there is too, there is a, a, too much time going into it. And it, it is basically professional. But then there's another side of me saying, Christ, I'd love to, to do it the way they're doing now and see how the body would be and how fit you could actually be and how strong or how long you could last. Because the game has changed, Jamie, and the training has changed. Everything about it has changed. Even, like, I played up until 2013 and even the changes now, it is phenomenal. Like, it's crazy. I suppose, was your first taste of success with, um, with Dingle CVS at the time, would that have been, you know, that was obviously before the, the two schools came together, which, you know, later became a pub called Crocodina. Was Liam Higgins over you at the time? Was, was that the time Liam Higgins was in charge? Yeah, Liam was in charge. It was the only success because I suppose growing up, myself and Adam would have been the one team with the girl tucked and that time we were playing division two, division three football. We were never playing division one football uh, at an underage level. And we've gone up, uh, there was no 13s or 15s. It was under 12s. We started under 14s, under 16s. And that was it. And um, the only hope we'd have every year would be the West Kerry championship. And even at that, we were, we were behind Dingle a lot of the time. But I think the first bit of success we had is when we came into Dingle CBS and uh, we had, I have great memories of it because we had Colm Sayers from Onuskal, we had Brendan Shea from Lisbon, we had Tommy Griffin and Paricorn, David Neil, all those lads from Dingle. You had myself and you had Adon, you had Sean Begley from Geltacht and we had a great team. We, we, it, was, it was probably one of the most successful. I know they've gone on and they've broken all sorts of records but back then Dingle CBS, I suppose Paddy Bond and all those fellas, Giga Connor. All those lads won the the Sigur or the the Sullivan Cup the last time, and nobody had won it since. Even the Darrow Canada team and the Dara Shea team, which was successful enough, they won a Russell Cup, but they never won the Sullivan Cup. The Sullivan Cup is the big one in Kerry. It's the senior colleges, eighteen and a half, and um, uh, we won that. We won it twice, I think. And Higgins was in charge, and Liam was a great manager. Geez, he was. He was pure football. He wanted football played a certain way and it was all catch and kick and move the ball. No silly stuff with it. There was forwards up there, kick it up to them as fast. They had to win their ball. It was all real old-fashioned style. We didn't do, do much on, on tactics. The tactics were simple and the tactics were basic, but the tactics were effective because we had a good team. And um, geez, we were very successful. And that time, I think the one regret I'd have about it is that 
uh, we didn't, I don't know why, but we weren't taking part in, in Munster Colleges or, or um, senior colleges at all at all. I don't know what it was. Uh, was it that we weren't entered or what? Because we were plenty good enough. In our last year, we were entered in the B competition, the All-Ireland Colleges B, and we won it. Tommy Griffin actually won it for us above in Ennis against Banada Abbey, a crowd from Sligo. Uh, and that was brilliant. Jeez, we, we, we toured uh, Munster. We played a gang from, from Wexford in the semi-final over in Fermoy. Uh, there was an awful row there. I think D- David Nail ran 50 yards from the goal. He got sent off. He missed the final. Rory Brosnan came into goal for the final. And it was brilliant. I remember... Liam Higgins picked me up the morning after because he had to gather a few fellas to go back to Raiden Guts to, to talk about the victory. And it was a historic victory at the time. And I remember there was all sorts of bottles in the back of Higgins' car. He enjoyed the night before, obviously. It was a late one. Uh, but we were young at the time. But we had great success. Jeez, we won first year, second year. We won Russell Cup. We won Dunlow Cups. We won the Sullivan Cups. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And they still have the they had lovely medals. The medals were fine, big, chunky medals, the Kerry College's medals, and uh, we, we did very well. But geez, since, uh, Jamie, the, the, the school has done phenomenally well, and Tommy Griffin and him, Fitzmaurice, and all the teachers, back in our day, it was Bosco Kunakur, it was Tommy Dowd, and then you get up to the senior grades, and it'd be Liam Higgins that would take it over. Uh, but they have the best of it back there now, and the, the teams back there, the players, and you're picking a small pick, you know the pick back there now, the pick yeah. is small, you'll have a few lads coming in from Onuskal, you'll have a few lads coming in from, from uh, Lisbon, a good few lads coming in from Lisbon, you'll have nobody coming in from Castle Gregory, they have their own secondary school down there, uh, and it'll be Gertrude and primarily Dingle, I suppose, would be there, and that's what made that the, the, like what they achieved winning those Hogan Cups is phenomenal with the pick they had, tiny, tiny pick and um, what they achieved and the pool of players and the, the miners um, that, they, that they served Kerry with. It was phenomenal. It was brilliant. I, 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 have, I have fond memories, brilliant memories. Got me through school, Jim. I hated school. I hated actually study. I hated all that. But the football, geez, once the bright evenings came, I was delighted. I loved it. I used to sit beside Sean Begley from Grand and, geez, I used to hate it. He used to miss school a lot. And I'd be looking at the door to see would he be in because all we do all day be picking teams. We'd pick the first year team, we'd pick the second year team, we'd pick the Hogan, not the Hogan Cup team, we'd pick Sullivan Cup teams, we'd pick everything. We'd pick Gaeltic teams, we'd pick Gaeltic senior teams if they're in West Kerry. And we used to, I used to have a, a hardback copy book. <laughs> and uh, all that would be inside and it would be teams. And we'd have it Nate his whistle inside and they'd be the best of it. And um, it was happy days. There was no worries or stresses that time. When did um, the intercounty scene kind of come, you know, come to the fore? I know you were you were there, you know, with the minors and you were in twenty ones and juniors. But when did you kind of go into the senior setup? I went into the see. I was a minor in ninety six, and we went to the All Ireland final. And uh, in ninety seven, then I was called in. So I would have been young. I would have been just turned. I would have been. I would have been eighteen. 18 years of age, I would have been 19 maybe that June, but I was doing my leaving cert, so my parents wouldn't allow me to go in, and Paddy was the manager of Kerry at the time, and he was, I'd be across the road, and should I be chatting to him every day, and Paddy was a rogue and a character himself, and Paddy was telling me all the time that he wanted me to, wanted to bring me in, 
for trials and to get involved with the Kerry seniors. And I thought he was joking. I thought he was joking, but he kept going on about it. And um, I, I went in. Uh, I missed the Munster final because obviously I was doing my leaving start, but I went in and I got onto the squad then for the All-Ireland semi-final. And I got in for the final. They played Cavan, I think, in the All-Ireland semi-final. And I didn't tug out that day. There was 24 that used to tug out that time. Uh, the squads were way bigger now. And I tugged out for the final. I was number 24 in the final in 1997. So that was the first time. And it was uh, it was a brilliant, geez, it was a brilliant year, Jamie, because Kerry hadn't won since 86. And it was like, geez, it was such a buzz. There was such a wave. Kerry had won the Munster final in 96. There was a feeling that that under-21 team, Dara and Kinnead and Dennis Dwyer and Barry Shea and all those players were going to deliver and they did. It was a phenomenal year and I was sitting on the bench and um, it still goes down as the greatest performance I ever saw on a football field by Morris Fitz that day. It was, it was absolutely untouchable in terms of, geez, they couldn't mark him. Poor old, old Holmes had, an, had a horrendous day on him. Like, and I don't think anybody, it didn't matter who was marking him that day. He just had the, he was zoned in, left, right, either side no matter how far out you were sideline whatever it was everything was going over and um, art was phenomenal and the homecoming was brilliant and you could see what it meant to the people of, of Kerry so my first year involved I was a sub and it was uh, they won the All-Ireland and it was the start of something brilliant in Kerry Jamie because the, that team and then our own team because I was under 21 up until 1999 so I played three years under 21 and we contested two finals, two All-Ireland finals. So the, the talent was coming through and uh, geez, it was a backbone of the team for, for whatever you can t- tell, say for 10 years anyway, the 10 years after that the backbone of those teams, Kerry won the All-Ireland under 21 in 95, 96, 98 and we contested a final in 99. So that's what backbone the team for the next 10 years. And geez, we had great times, brilliant times. And in 97, did you, did you get a medal from being part of the, the panel? Or you were saying you were part of the 24. Did you get a medal that year? So would you have six All-Irelands or was it five? No, I didn't get a medal. So it wouldn't count. Uh, if it was today, no, you would. You'd get a medal if it, if it was... Back then, every county was different, Jamie. Every county had a tradition. And the tradition in Kerry always was 21 medals. 21 medals. So what would happen is you play your Munster Championship. The Munster Championship and the All-Ireland Series were two different competitions as such. So if you were playing in Munster, for example, 97 is a great example, right? 97, Mike Hassett was the captain of Kerry. Uh, Lawn Rangers had won the county final in 96. So Mike Hassett was captain of Kerry and Mike Hassett captain Kerry to victory over Clare above in Limerick and he lifted the cup. Now Mike Hassett picked up an injury of some sort. So in the All-Ireland series, which is another competition in Kerry kind of bylaws or whatever it was, Mike Hassett never played in the semi-final or the final, even though he was captain of the team. Now in between those two games, six players played. Six players came on in both those games. So there were your 21 medals gone. So Mike Hassett did not receive a medal. It was only 21 medals and you received a medal if you played. Now, if they used more subs than 21, I don't know what would have happened, but they used 21 uh, medals. And I think it was the reason. It was the reason that the two Hassetts uh, 
as Liam Hassett would say, went off sulking for a couple of years and didn't play with Kerry. Uh, but they came back, two brilliant players, two outstanding players for Kerry. But yeah, there was only 21 medals, so I didn't get a medal. You get a kind of a, I got a kind of a fake one or, or says that, that you're part of the squad or whatever. But um, I, I don't know, Jamie, medal and it, look, it's, it's not that you're looking down, it is the squad and all that. But um, I never, I was never actually sitting on the bench. I sat on the bench one day for Kerry. I started on the bench once and that was when myself and the Gooch was, were dropped. Um, and I'd find, I think I'd find it very hard. And I don't know, you'd have to be kind of taught how to, to be part of the squad. I, I, I just played to be playing and that was it. Um, and I was lucky enough that I played most of the time. But I was sub on the All-Ireland um, that day and um, in 98 as well, after the first game in 98. Uh, I had to sit out on the bench as well because I had a horrendous day the first day. My debut against Cork was was one of the toughest days I ever put down the pitch. Um, and after that, I suppose it took off. Ninety nine was the real kick off, really. And it took a couple of years to get the confidence up. Like that's why I admire Jamie. You look at the likes of 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 Shawnee Shea, and you look at the likes of David Clifford, and you look at the likes of these young fellas coming in, and they're hitting the ground running. They're fully developed. They have the confidence of, well, they're lucky they had the confidence of winning minors. But back in my day, it didn't matter who you were. Even if you were the gooch, it took you two or three seasons to bed down and you weren't fully developed. Whereas young fellas nowadays, they're nearly fully developed at 18, like they nearly are. Given that they're missing a bit of cuteness, they're missing whatever. But physically, they're a lot more developed than they were back in my day. Um, like Dara, my brother, was a, a horse of a man. Uh, is a horse of a man but he was not fully developed until he was about 23 or 24 he wasn't able to horse the big midfielders until about that age so times as, I, as we've kind of discussed before with training times have changed in that regard as well The the first All-Ireland was in 2000 I remember I was actually that, at that game so I was very young then but um, what was it like you know kind of say getting over the line was there a bit of a monkey off your back did you feel Oh, yeah. I mean, if you had an All-Ireland medal, Jesus, uh, in Kerry, it's all with All-Ireland medals, you know, and that's not being cocky or arrogant, but you would feel it. You would, If you didn't have an All-Ireland one or if you didn't play on a winning All-Ireland team, the, for me, anyway, uh, in the family that we were in, and Paddy after winning so much, and Paddy now being the manager, uh, I won't say there was pressure. I didn't really feel the pressure, but at the same time, I wanted, we wanted to win an All-Ireland. And... It was a tough one because we had Armagh in the semi-final and we had to play two games. We drew with them. And then we drew with Galway in the final and they were two tough teams. Both those teams won All-Irelands themselves. And that Galway team, geez, there were some footballers in it. Unreal. And they should have possibly beaten us the first day, but we got away with it. And um, the second day we, 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 we got away with it. Morris Fitz had, had a huge part to play in those All-Irelands coming on against Armagh, coming on against Galway. Um, or he was a genius but that was huge and it was brilliant because that time and you know what there was no the Hogan stand was just being built uh, there was only half a stand there and uh, the the patrons or the supporters weren't allowed onto the pitch and we kind of enjoyed it that little bit more and we were running around the field and we saw fellas from our own parish we saw fellas from our own club and from West Kerry and to meet them and to see the joy in their face uh, I remember a couple of the neighbours Joe Bond and uh, I don't know who else was there. Was it Tony Shea? And just the way they grabbed you, there was nearly tears in their eyes. And you knew, you know, you realised like, geez, you're after doing something special here. 
and uh, it is a huge, huge, huge big deal. And again, I suppose it is only really, Jamie, when you look back, when you're finished up, that you look back and you might think of these things and you might think how important it was. But when you're actually living through it, you don't know how important it is for other people and for, for the communities of, of, of the county. Like. And what's your feeling around, you know, the way, obviously, over the last couple of years, all Ireland, whoever wins all Ireland, there's no supporters on, on, uh, allowed onto the pitch. What's your feeling around that? It was quite crazy too, I suppose, in, in one way, but it was, it was good in another way. You know, it was kind of dangerous from a player's perspective. You know, it was an opportunity to... You know, I'm laughing now because... I'm laughing because I remember when Tyrone, Tyrone beat us one year and Jez Dadis beat and Ryan McMenamin threw me a comment out around the middle of the park and the time was up. I knew we were bait. I knew we were bait, but I wasn't going to go down. So I hit him an awful belt and made sure like that he stayed down as well. But the final whistle just went and I did it. <laughs> Obviously some Tyrone supporters saw me do it. So I ran for me and hit me a welt. And at that stage, I you know, the, the life, when the whistle, whistle went, the fight kind of just died out of me. You know, the temper had died out of me. It was there a second ago, and it was gone the minute the whistle went. And I think Paul Galvin came up behind me, and he lamped your man from Tyrone, the supporter. And uh, the two of us just walked off then. But look, I think there's pros and cons. Would I like it? I think, yeah, when you, like I have kids now, Jamie, and if there are, if there are, you know, you get to walk around, you get to soak it in more. I think that's, I think that is good, like, because I know that it's different for the supporter and all that. And it is, a, it's a tradition. And I think that tradition will still live on with county championships. But I suppose it became a health and safety issue with, with them above there. But in terms of the players, I do think that there's something nice about being able to walk around with a cup and enjoy it and have your hour and a half. Because what used to happen is you'd, you'd, it would be kind of crazy and you wouldn't, like, it's not that you don't want to celebrate with them, but it would get kind of rough and fellas would be clapping you on the back and they're excited and, Jesus Christ, the, the claps in the back would nearly break a rib. <laughs> Some of them would be so excited, like, and um, you'd go into the dressing room and you'd have 25 minutes inside the dressing room and, of course, I'd be itching to get out of the dressing room and down the town, but it is important I think and they enjoy it now and, and you see the teams no matter how often they win the dubs how often they win everyone is to be cherished and they get the kids out and they get family out and they can go around to their family and it, I think it's nice actually and would I have liked it I would have I'd say I would have, I would have liked to have seen what would have been like but at the same time the, 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 the crack and the buzz of the, of the crowd running into the pitch as well like I suppose look to us for safety measures and I can see why they did it and I don't think they'll be going back in it either No definitely not no definitely not um, I suppose just to kind of paint the picture like I, I remember it like the, the golden years um, I wouldn't say the golden years but you know the early noughties you were flying with the Gwerkter as well GC had some strong strong team and you obviously were uh, West Kerry up to 98 won the intermediate and then went on your own in 99 do you want to give us an overview of what those years were like like in 2000 you just lost out the Crocs it was a very low scoring game I think there's a point in it yeah it was it was huge because we had a good young team coming and uh, there was a pile of work Liam O'Rourke you know him Liam put in a pile of work back there at underage level and we were lucky enough there was a good batch of kids coming from all groups you know and I think 
what the key thing for us, Jamie, was, you know, Kerry football and club football in Kerry is you need to be playing Division 1. For a senior county championship team, you need to be playing Division 1 football, number one. But at the time, we were very successful and we had a pile of fellas in the county squad. You had myself, you had Dara. Later, you had Mark, but in those times, he wasn't there. You had myself, you had Dara, you had Aidan, you had Dara Kaneda. Four of us were inside at the time. And that was a big four. Any four out of a small club like the Gaeltacht. But we had such good club players. You had the Cahill Dowds, you had the JJ Cardoffs, you had the Kevin Welches, you had the, the Connor family behind there. You had Shawnee, you had Mickey and you had Jimmy. And uh, Sean Sheehy was there. Um, and you had a very good squad. And those fellas, even though we'd only play maybe two or three at most county league games during the year, they never went down to Division 2. So for seven or eight or nine years, they kept it going and they kept it solid. And I think any time, it was very hard for us to get a run in championship, but any time we seemed to have a poor run with Kerry, that we got home and we got back with the club, we seemed to have a good year with the club then because we were able to spend that little bit more time with him. Because basically what happens, and it's still the same, Jim, you're inside with, with Kerry and there's a championship next Sunday. You might have a game with, with Kerry on the Sunday then you're allowed to go back with your clubs for maybe one session or two at most. You won't get a county league game with them beforehand and then you're straight into championship. So you had to hit the ground running and it was very hard for a club manager with four or five inter-county players and that became worse. It was at one stage, it was seven of us inside there. You had Ron Amplarty, you had Mark, you had Rob Fitz inside there as well. And um, it, was, it was very difficult, but we went on our own and it was absolutely outstanding. We, we, we beat... Or we played um, Dr. Crokes in the county final in 2000 and we were raw and we came back in 2001 and we won it against Stax. Uh, 2002, I think we went out fairly timidly, but 2003 then we won it again. And um, I often say to a couple of lads back there, we, we, we could have won more and I think we could have won more. That team was good enough to, to win more. It was a good team, but it was never going to last, Jim. We never had, we don't have the numbers. We're not a town team. You know the area back there. The area mm. is huge. I'll, I'll say that the area is massive, but the population in terms of families back there isn't that very big. And it's very hard for rural clubs like we have in West Kerry, South Kerry, East Kerry. It's very hard to keep it going, you know. And we had a great run and just we enjoyed it. The crack you had with, 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 the own, with your own mates and your own club and the success on top of it, it was brilliant. And I think what we enjoyed more than anything was the supporters the supporters geez they got some days out of it uh you think of covid now you think of social distancing jesus there was anything but social distancing back that time and paddy man he was the sponsor and um he had a hotel inside in Tralee, the meadowlands hotel and mm -hmm. that's where the girl took team would eat after the match and there would be music and there would be crack and there'd be all sorts of of fun and I think we used to always the players would join in everybody would join in and the party would move west and we'd stop all the way along back you know you stop in Onuskal you stop in Espoil you stop in Dingle we always loved and we enjoyed stopping in Dingle after winning a county final <laughs> because you know, you know yourself now with the banter that goes on between Dingle and everybody behind there you know Dingle are, have a fierce club the towny club everybody wants to be Dingle and that time, um, and Dingle were good that time. Dingle were strong that time. But, um, and we played them in the county championship, and that would have been big because West Kerry, as you know, is Onuskal and Castle Gregory and Lisbon and the Gaeltacht and Dingle. 
But at the time, we won the intermediate, which allowed us to go senior. And then not too long after, Dingle won it as well. And they were senior and are still senior. Um, but we played them a couple of times in championship and county championship and we beat them. And that was important. It was huge for us um, because they're competitive and, you know, neighbourly. You know, it's like carrying Cork in the football in an inter-county. Dingle, Galtic was, was huge as well for us. Um, and we, had, we were unlucky, Jamie. I won't say we were unlucky. Caltra deserved it on the day. We went to an All-Ireland Club final. And I suppose the biggest regret I'd still have to this day is that we didn't uh, win that day. Um, I didn't play too well the same day and I was playing brilliantly all throughout. And I just couldn't get into the game. And uh, you think about it the odd time. You know, it, it, geez, it would be a lovely, lovely medal. Like, no matter what, whatever hard it is to win an All-Ireland with a county, you multiply it by 10 to win it with a club. You see what Carafin are doing like, and it's phenomenal what they're doing. It's, it's crazy. I, I, I find it hard to understand how you could win three All-Ireland Club titles in a row. Um, so what they've done is, is phenomenal. And we had a great run, brilliant run. And we, we kind of knew, I suppose, when we lost, that we weren't going to get back up there again. We didn't take a mammoth, I suppose, at the time. We would never say, have said never. But, and you see it now. They went back down to intermediate. And we're still at intermediate, and they lost in a guy last weekend in the intermediate. It's very hard to build that back up. And Caltra in Galway were very similar. Caltra didn't come back. It was a small parish club like ourselves as well, and they hadn't been heard of. Neither had we been heard of before we got up to Coe Park. Um, but it was some achievement to get up there. You know, you think of all the great clubs around the country. And, you know, we, we, we bait Castlehaven in Munster. We bait um, St. Sennans of Clare in, in Munster. We beat Bridgets of Dublin uh, in the semi-final and nobody gave us a prayer. And uh, it was phenomenal. They were coming from London. They were coming from America. They were coming from Asia, Australia. And uh, it was great times. But it was just a pity we couldn't deliver it just for the, for the people of the club and the people of the parish. And... Uh, but those things happen. We had we, we had great times, and we had, just we had great crack with the with the club, mighty crack. The crack was endless. And I suppose you know, looking back at it now, um, do you think you know you should have won a few more county championships and even West Kerry championships during the say that period? You know, when you had like you the the three three O'Shea's and you Daryl Canada and Aidan and the rest of the, the lads. Yeah, I think what used to happen, and this is being honest about it, it's not that we didn't want to win West Kerry Championships, but we'd be flat out all summer. All summer training was intense, and at that time, Kerry were, were there, thereabouts, so you'd be going till September anyway. And then you were expected to go back with the club, which was fine, and then play county championship, which you did. And then in the depths of winter, you know, I'm talking, depending how successful you were with the club, you'd be, be talking November, December and championship and you'd come back and you'd tag off and it's not that you didn't want to be there of course you wanted to win a West Kerry championship but what was happening in between Jamie was we were having our downtime in between like so you'd have your nights out in between and it wasn't that you were disrespecting the girls or anything like that but you weren't taking care of the body as well as you would be during the summer um, and if I could say I, I can't over underemphasize it that we wanted to win but we weren't the same players in the month of November that we were in the month of September. And it was impossible. I think it's impossible. And I think any player or any inter-county player tells me that they're, they're fully enjoying life and fully enjoying football and fully... They're not. They can't be. Like, and maybe, maybe they'd get their kick is doing the training and all that. But we actually... And it's not that we were over-enjoying it, but we had a healthy balance back then. And I think uh, 
look, each man to himself and each man is different and each man doesn't think they need that. But we socialise well during the winter. Winter was our downtime. And if a match was on a Sunday, we could be out the weekend before and we tune in maybe the Wednesday or the Thursday before a match. And maybe that was right, maybe that was wrong. That was the way it was being done by lots of people because I was in college that time. And, um, you know, I suppose it was difficult. It was difficult to tune in. And it was a long, I mean, the club would be living for it and the club would be waiting for it. But inter-county fellas would be training from January to, to November and still going hard in November and still going. And, geez, I found myself getting cranky with it then. You'd be getting cranky on the pitch and you'd be getting sent off and you'd be, it'd be a long season. And, the, you know, it's not that you'd be hoping that you'd lose, but you weren't sorry to see the end of the season at the same time. And I know when Jack O'Connell took over in, in 04, um, you, yourself and was it Mark that slipped away from a team building event going up to Mikiti Reeks. Is there any truth in that? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was myself and Dara actually. Was it Dara? I'll tell you what it was. Like, I couldn't understand it. You know, and look, you're in that game now, team bonding. And there's a, there's a huge benefit in team bonding. Huge. But I suppose at that time, we, I'd see team bonding as, as uh, differently as I saw it then. I'd see team bonding back then as going out in the night out and having crack and having banter and enjoying it and relaxing, have a bite of grub and go out for a few jars after and have a bit of crack. Uh, but Jack came in and it was the first time. It was a new idea. It was for, completely new. Hats off to him. He was, ahead of the, he was ahead of the posse when you think about it back in, back in 2004. And... We went in for training and he brought us up, up the, he brought us up the, um, wherever we went up. He wanted us to climb a mountain anyway. He wanted us to climb a mountain. I didn't see, geez, if you told me that I was going to win something or if it was going to help me with the football or if it was something like, if you told me even that we were going to have a, a match above there or something, there was a pitch above there or something, I would have, <laughs> I would have bought into it. But I was saying, Jesus Christ, are we walking up the mountain? And I said, what are we doing above there? And somebody said, Jesus, I don't know, we're coming back down, I suppose. And I says, Christ almighty, why are we going up the mountain? Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it like that it was a team bonding and that we'd actually do it together and the benefits of doing something together and the fact that if you do that together, you could do the same on the pitch together. And it didn't cross my mind at all. <laughs> I just could not make the fucking connection. So... One of the selectors was Johnny Quality, and Johnny was, was moving on in years. A great football man, a Clarny Legion man. And myself and Dara spotted um, Johnny going to the left, and I said to Dara, I says, that fella isn't going up the mountain at all. I says, what we'll do here now is, I bet you there's somebody coming to collect him. So we fucking we just slipped away quietly. There was enough happening and enough, we weren't even noticed, slipping over. The car pulled up before Johnny even could tell us, don't get into the car. We were sitting in the back seat and poor old Johnny didn't have the balls to say, get out lads and go up the mountain. Because if he did, I'd say we would have, but he didn't put up any fight. So down into Killarney and I think we went for a bite to grow up or whatever. And um, <laughs> I never knew it, but in Jack's book, I think he was livid. He was absolutely raging um, that we didn't go up and he thought that it fucked up the whole trip and the whole purpose of what he wanted to achieve with it. And uh, <laughs> he didn't say anything. He bit his tongue. In fairness to him, he bit his tongue. And, geez, we didn't know he was pissed off at all. If he, if he was, he didn't let it on. 
and uh, and despite what fellas say, like we got on well with Jack, and I'd have great time for Jack as a coach. What he's achieved as a coach, and he was very good for my football game in particular. I thrived under Jack, uh, but he was pissed off with us that day. But yeah, we we. I don't know, both of us didn't see the point in going up a mountain at the time, Jamie. Um, look, just to bring it up, I suppose, to, you know, before you, you retired, um, just give kind of an, an overview of the rivalry between yourself and, you know, Kerry and Tyrone at the time, and Kerry and Cork. Um, first of all, I suppose, Kerry and Cork, you know, you were living in Cork at the time. Was it a healthy rivalry? Did you ever get any any um, abuse or... or um, any fellow go for you or anything like that? Uh, no. Look, I had one skirmish all right out in the town um, and we were after beating Cork. Uh, Arabic was a small thing. There, wasn't, there was never really any trouble. I used to love living in Cork, uh, even coming up to Munster Finals because Cork is, is the best Cork city and Cork County, the best sporting county bar none in the country in my eyes. And that's Dublin included. Uh, Derry included you have the soccer above in Derry Galway is mad Limerick is the, the, the rugby mad but Cork has everything Cork has the football it has the hurling it has the soccer it has the rugby it has the basketball it has the hockey everything everything they have and um, I suppose like you'd have Munster players Munster were going well at the time they'd be walking around the place so a Kerry footballer wasn't going to be nobody would be paying attention to him and I, it, I loved it you weren't. You go down the street in Tralee, Jamie, and you'll meet ten fellas. You walk up from one side of the Denny Street up to the top of the other side of Denny Street, and you're playing with Kerry. You'll be stopped ten times, and it's. I found that a pain in the arse, to be honest with you. And it's not that I'd want to be rude, or it's not, but I didn't want to be talking football about what was going on inside in Kerry or what was. I didn't want to be talking to the match because it would mentally drain you. And down in Cork, nobody asked me. Nobody. They wouldn't even know who I was. And that was that was brilliant. And the rivalry with Cork, and everybody says, "Ah, oh, you had the bet- betting of that Cork team." That was a good Cork team. And I don't care what anybody says. They bet us enough times in Munster finals for me to know it. And they won their own All Ireland in 2010, which they deserved to win, to know it as well. But Tyrone, I suppose, Tyrone was it was more of a. I suppose we always knew that if if we were anywhere right, we had to be right that we could beat Cork. But Jesus, we couldn't get on top of of Tyrone. And every time we played them. We thought we were there. We thought we had enough done. We thought we were going well. And watching Tyrone and the way they were going, we felt we always had enough for them. And the matches were brilliant matches, but we could always, we could never come out on the right side of it. They used to always lift themselves for us. Whatever it was, the green and gold used to set off something inside in them. And um, they used to lift themselves no matter what. And great, Jesus, I can't say it enough. Like You talk about the style of football nowadays and people were describing it, Pasplan, I think, described that Tyrone team as puke football and was far from puke football. Jesus, were they able to play football any way you wanted. They were rough, played silky, played some of the best forwards that ever played the game. You know, you have Stephen O'Neill, you had Mulligan. You had Brian Doher, you had uh, uh, Brian McGuigan and you had, of course, Canavan, the king of them all. Um, and they had their hub Hughes around the middle of the field. They had Sean Cavanagh around the place. They had uh, Jordan at the back, McMenamin at the back. Oh, Christ, they were a good team, very good team, very solid team. And there was no weakness there at all. And again, they lifted themselves for us. And three, three I think we played them in, in a semi-final and two finals and they beat us in the three of them. So, and you know what we beat them? I don't know what year it was. But at that stage, we beat them in Clarny in the, oh, in the championship. Yeah, I don't know what year that was, but it wasn't the same Tyrone team. 
uh, and I suppose the fact, the fact from an inter-county point of view, I talk, spoke about the club and the regret. I would have a regret that we didn't beat that team because we beat everybody else. We beat the Armas, we beat the Dublins, we beat the Galways, we beat the Corks. All the teams were at top at the time, but I suppose we didn't beat Tyrone, and then that, that's the that's the the size of it. Do you think we say, you know, looking back over the, the your career, um, I suppose just using Tyrone as as the example, do you think the fact that you said there at the start of Kerry was all about tradition, tradition, tradition. Do you think that, you know, sticking to the tradition element prevented ye from kind of thinking outside the box, playing against these teams? You know, did ye always think that tradition would, would win at the end of the day? I suppose it wasn't traditional. Like, I mean, we had our tactics as well. And one of the big tactics, I suppose, was when Donny came on board in 2006 and, and the long ball into Donny was a, was a big factor in that. And, um, <laughs> excuse me, I, I think during the lockdown, there was a lot of games on and people were watching a lot of the old games and watching those games and you'd watch the old Tyrone games and the amount of ball we kicked away, the amount of ball I kicked away, you, you'd look up and, but that was the way it was being played that time, Jamie. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was never, like you, if you gave away four balls in a match, Nowadays, right? By kicking it 30, 40 yards, you'll probably be taken off, right? But back in our day, you kicked the ball. You kicked my five or six balls in, but it wasn't more so the fella that kicked it. It was why the guy inside didn't win it more so. Do you know what I mean? So if you were a forward inside that time, we had Johnny Crowley inside there. We had Derek Nade inside there. There was a lot more 50-50 balls put into forwards that time. And that was the style of play that was being played. Right, and then you had Tyrone coming along, and I think tactically, they kind of set up stall a little bit more, where they started becoming more defensive, and then teams had to think their way around how to beat more defensive teams. And one of the ways we thought would be kicking a long ball in, but I think, and then this is where I, I think we had probably the best forward in the country beside Danny at the time, Gooch. And if you had one regret, how we weren't coached, and outside him we had Declan Sullivan. And if you look at it now. Jesus, what a threat that team would be now because you could run it. You could run it with the backs we had. You could actually go through the half-forward line with Declan Sullivan as pivot inside in it. And you could go along into Donny and long into Gooch. And you didn't have to pike it up in the air like we used to have to. And looking back on it now, you would love to say, Christ, give me that carry team there and I'll train them for two months solid and we'll come back and we'll play and I'd love to have done that. I, I think I think we had the raw materials to play different styles, but it just wasn't what was there at the time. People weren't thinking that far outside the box in Kerry. And your question was tradition. Yeah, I think tradition maybe held us back a small bit in that regard and that we weren't tactically um, as cute as we should have been and we weren't maybe willing to try it up both ways um, because we were too direct at times, way too direct at times, and we bypassed Declan and the 40 and off a lot of the time as well. Do you know, over the years, how did you find the build up to games changed? I suppose, you know, compared to 97 to your last All Ireland, you know, obviously got more professional. You see a big change throughout the uh, 15 years. Uh, for me, no, the build up to it. Well, I, I was teaching throughout those years. I was in college. Well, if I was in college, I was back at home. Uh, but as the years went on, most of my years were spent teaching. And I had a similar routine. Uh, I could tell you right now, I'd take the Friday off. I had a good principal. I'd take the Friday off. I'd rest up all day Friday. 
uh, I take it so easy. I hydrate. I'd mind myself. I just sit down. I wouldn't exert myself. I might go for a walk. On the Saturday, then I would travel from Cork uh, to Mallow and meet the train that was after coming from Tralee and Killarney. I'd get on the train in Mallow. Uh, I'd eat my dinner in Douglas before I go out there, go down to Barry's, and I'd eat my dinner. I'd get on the train in Mallow, bit of crack on the train with the boys on the way up. I loved the, the journey up. We'd have a cup of tea, a few biscuits, or whatever we'd have, and a bit of crack and a few games of cards, and the banter be on into the hotel. Uh, I'd be rooming with Dara. Uh, I roomed with Eamon Fitzmaurice as the years went on. And um, the nerves the nerves will be there from the from the meeting that night. Um, watch up for the match, maybe. Or, or the, I found the night long. You know, you'd be walking around the corridors above and in and out of Phyllis' rooms and hopping ball and messing and whatnot. And uh, the morning then, the morning was the killer. Breakfast. And from maybe 10 o'clock until we left the hotel about 1 o'clock. That was the longest three hours of the whole day and the whole week. And uh, the nerves would be setting in and you'd be thinking and focusing and you couldn't eat and you'd have to force yourself to eat around 12 o'clock, four hours before the game is what I'd eat. You'd get a bit of pasta into you, you'd get a bit of chicken into you, onto the bus and then into the dressing room and another fucker of an hour to kill inside the dressing room before you go out. And uh, once you got out then, once three minutes of the game was started, uh, everything was grand. You might as well have been playing back in Gunners. That's, you know. Um, but then the only thing that changed, I think, and the build-up was on the training. I put it like this, Joe. The biggest change I saw in 1997, Paddy was manager. And the, the, on the Thursday night before the Sunday, that's four days out now, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what we would do on the Thursday night is he'd leave us out to the pitch. We'd take maybe five minutes of kicking up the top goal. Backs would go inside the goal, forwards outside. No drills, nothing. Down to the other end, a few kicks. That's it. Then, off you go, lads, tag off. And if the free takers wanted to stay out in the pitch, but our training session was about 20 minutes with a, maybe a chat at the end of it. Maybe a 15-minute chat party would, would try to rev us up on the Thursday night, down for grub, home. What changed in the years, the biggest change I saw uh, was meetings and analysis. And when I was growing older, I'm into my 30s. I was 35 when I stopped playing with Kerry. I'd crack me up. The meetings would crack me up. I'd be, I'd have a young family at home. I'd leave home at half four for training and I wouldn't get home till about half 11, quarter to 12. And that would be, that would be a, a, a hard night now. You'd have a long two-hour training. So the training sessions got longer as well. The training sessions got longer. The analysis got longer. There was more time being put into it. The weight session got longer. There was more involved. And for a fella that was maybe 10, 12 years doing it one way, and then this was coming in, that was the biggest change of all, was the, how time-consuming it was in every aspect of it. You know, after retirement, I know you, you played a bit with, um, with Nemo, but, you know, when you stopped that, um, how do you keep yourself fit? Would you always kind of go for a run? Like, you know, some players would have rituals even when they retire to go, for, you know, they stick maybe a run in the morning or once a week or twice a week. Or do you still go to the gym? Or, or what do you do to kind of keep the mind in tune, apart from golfing? Apart from golfing, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I used to always, I find it hard to train on my own, Jamie, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I'd, I'd watch what I eat, most importantly. That's what I do. I watch what I eat, and I'd go for a lot of walking if I can. And uh, that'd be it. I'd try to keep myself active. If I could bring the kids out at school above, I'd try to do whatever I can with them and get involved in the games with them. Uh, but 
Um, what I used to do was, if I was ever involved with a team, and if I was playing with a team, and it was the same when I went back with Nemo, I'd put myself through hell to make sure I was fit. So I would do every single, and there'd be Nemo above anybody. Stephen O'Brien was involved there, and they'd be full on. They wouldn't mind older fellas taking a night off or going away there after those few runs. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I'd have to do every single bit of it. I'd have to, I'd have to do actually more. And that would drive me then. If I felt I wasn't fit enough inside with a group, I'd go off and do something on my own. Whether that be out on a pitch there where I'd do maybe five or six wire-to-wires or seven or eight hundred metre sprints, I would do something to get myself back fitness. It was an awful thing. There was a fear that I wouldn't be able to keep with them or whatever. And I'd drive myself then. But when the team kind of competitive environment calmed, and when I wasn't part of that anymore, I, I, the drive, I suppose, w- w- isn't isn't the same then for me. Like, and that's just me personally. And at the same time, fellas say, "Geez, you're you're looking in great shape." It's not that I'm in great shape at all. I'm just not eating like a horse. That's about the size of it, I'd say. Um, we I got a question in there from uh, Johnny Kindy from the the Long Hall in in New York. Potter or driver? What is a potter or driver? Yeah, I don't know what he means by that. He says definitely you should, you should know. Definitely a driver. I can't put to save my life. <laughs> Johnny, you see, Johnny's good at everything. Johnny's good at the old putter. And Johnny's good at the old irons. And Johnny's good at the old driver as well. But I, I, I'd be a big driver of the ball now. I can smack it a fair length. But it's a short game. You know, uh, I suppose putting is my downside. Yeah, geez, I'm shocking at the putting. They call me the three-putt king down in, down in Forta. So I'll have to take that on the chin. <laughs> Um, look, I suppose you know you're looking back now over the over the years. You're, you're kind of looking forward in your you know in your current role with, with RT. What do you think can be done to prevent you know these rural clubs from falling away? You know, for example, West Kerry. There, like I know all the clubs in West Kerry. Those lads that were in Cork last year in college, they all end up training together. Um, do you think that could be kind of a template that clubs could use going forward? Yeah, I think. Look. I think clubs, uh, rural clubs, are in serious trouble. Serious trouble. And the reality is, and you have to kind of understand why, it's because jobs aren't in the rural areas. So fellas are going for more technology-based jobs, and those jobs are based in Dublin. They might be based in Limerick. They might be based in... Uh, in you'll be lucky if you get to Limerick. You'll be lucky if you get to Cork. Because if you are, I think, Jamie, the uh, clubs are actually managing. Anybody who's in Cork, travelling home maybe once a week, Anybody who, they can get to Killarney and they can train as a group there. If it's serious enough, if it's a West Kerry Championship or a South Kerry Championship, they can. But the problem is, there's fellas leaving and they're not coming back. And that's where you have the difficulty in rural. And Valencia are very, they're struggling. Like, and especially in South Kerry. West Kerry in particular, I think have done well. And they have done well. Like Dingle is a healthy enough club. They have good numbers. Celtic have good enough numbers as well, to be fair to them. Um, and like, I suppose the bottom line is if you can't set up base like people go on about the internet and, and broadband and all that but if you had broadband as strong as you do back in West Kerry back in West Kerry back in West Galway back in all the western seaboard I think you'd have a lot more people willing to go home and work from home we're after going through COVID we're after going through a lockdown and it is you are able to do it there's no doubt that you're able to do it but I think certain um, it's very costly and I think it's a while away before it happens yet and I think people, travel isn't as difficult as it was before. 
And I think a lot of people are traveling. There's a lot of people going to Dubai. There's a lot of people in Middle East. And there's a lot of people going to Australia. And, uh, you know, they say that there's another recession on the way. And if there is, will, they, will, will more of them leave? And I, I'm afraid there's two, two sides to that sword as well, Jim. You go up to Dublin and the issue is there are too many people and that there are mm. fellas falling through the cracks above there and they're not getting the right crack off it or they're not getting their best players out in the pitch and you can only pick one team at the end of the day. But then down the other side, you have the opposite problem. And how are you going to solve it unless you can actually create employment in the areas you're always going to have an issue of some sort? Unless you have fellas and I think one thing as well is back in the old days I think fellas were it's not that they were more committed but it was more of a connection and it's easier for them to walk away now I think as well it's easier for them to the social side of it I don't know is it the fact <laughs> social media or whatever it is but people you see Jack McCaffrey Jack McCaffrey can walk away from Dublin it's not to be all in and all and club football isn't to be all in and all for fellas either so it's easier for them to walk away and look it's, it's an issue it's an issue for the GA it's a problem for them but it's not an easy solution, I'm afraid. Two last questions. Um, I remember, you know, looking looking at you playing these, you know, the photos of uh, of you solo on the ball. You had a unique way of of doing it. <laughs> it did, yeah. I, you know, I always thought it was the right way. I thought everybody else was fucking wrong. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just had more control. What it was was I wanted to look up as I was soloing. <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to look up as I was soloing. So therefore, if I could bring my left, my left hand could get down to my boot with more control. So I could look up and know where the ball was at the same time. If the ball was my left hand, I could just drop it onto my boot and it would come back up and I'd have my right hand to control it straight away. Whereas if I did it the other way, and it was basically when I'd be, when I'd be um, on a solo run, you know, and I, I didn't think it was, I don't know why, I don't know when it started, but it was always there. That's just the way I always did it. And uh, it was just, I don't know, it just helped me. It, it was easier to throw the ball at full pace. And that's what I, like in 2004, when Jack Connor came in, Paddy was more of a fellow, stay at the back, do your job, that's it. There's enough forwards about there. But when Jack came in, I actually had a great season with the club and my game with centre-back with the club was attack a lot of the time and put your marker on the back foot. And from then on, like I was kind of, Attacking a lot more, but the solo, when you, you obviously, the faster you can run, the better. So that allowed me to run as fast as I could with, with still having control of the ball. Last question. I, I got this question in from um, a North Kerry listener. Um, would, would you like to see a hurling team based in, in West Kerry or even Dingle in the future? Um, I suppose it, it's, it's completely up to, to, to yourself, really. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see an issue with it. Like I see soccer clubs back there. I see rugby clubs back there. I think a, a hurling club would find it difficult, Jamie, to set roots there because, that again, it goes back down to tradition and the tradition isn't there in clubs. And when the tradition isn't there in clubs, maybe the passion isn't there to drive it as hard as they would with football. And you don't have as many hurling men back there. And I admire what's above in North Kerry and I admire what they have out in Ballyduff and Nixna and Ballyhigh and all those places. And, you know, the hurling has more of a grip in those clubs maybe than the football does and they, they have that tradition and they have it and if, if you tried to dominate those areas with football it, they'd struggle because of the connection that's there in the community with the sport and the, what people are putting back into the sport and I'd have no issues with hurling uh, Matthew Flaherty played in the county final there and you know the Barry Dans and the Gainies they also played plenty of hurling plenty of hurlers came out now I don't know one hurler from the Gaeltacht, 
and I, I'd say they were dangerous enough without a fucking hurley, not to mind to put a hurley into their, into their hands. <laughs> but definitely, I, I wouldn't see an issue with it. Um, but I'd say it would struggle strictly because it's never been there. Perfect. Look, Tomas, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. I, 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 took, I took enough time from you. Look, thanks very much for taking time out and coming on into the View podcast. And look, best of luck with everything going forward. No bother. Cheers, Jamie, and thanks, bye. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Tomas. Uh, I think we got an incredible insight into his career. He was really open and honest, you know, with the answers throughout. Um, look, personally, I do think he really epitomised what a Kerry footballer is. Um, he always led by example, and he played an incredible amount of pride and passion on the pitch. Um, he was it was great to watch him in, in a full flight. Uh, very few people were able to able to stop him. Um, and look personally, I will never forget. You know, see him in the flesh in full flight, whether it was in Crow Park or whether it was in Galleris. It was uh, always a joy to behold. Um, again, look, Tomas, thanks a million for you know for taking time out and coming on the interview podcast. I really do appreciate it. That is all from us now on this week's episode. So please do get in contact with the podcast if you have a story, you know, from being part of a team, whether it's a sports team or a corporate team, please do let us know. Don't worry, everything will be kept confidential. Don't forget to rate review and tell your friends, family about the podcast too. And please do go over and follow us on our social media channels, you know, to be kept up to date on what we're doing on a daily basis here at On The Ball Team Building. You'll find us on Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it is on the ball team building. And over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. That is the digit two. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, please do stay safe. And remember, cred, unit, fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you very much again for listening.